Welcome to the 10th episode of the Keep Agile, Keep Farming podcast with your hosts, Nick and Gwen. Now, what happens when there are too many chiefs and not enough Indians on a farm? When the older generation trashes the ideas of the younger generation and the best of friends become the worst of enemies? Well, maybe you should turn to the services of Andy Cage and Junkin from Stubborn.Farm, who is a recognised expert for bringing farming families together and solving their issues in order to smooth the pathway towards farm succession. Andy Cajun Junkin is a leading expert on farm succession and farm debt turnarounds, operating his business online from North America. We spoke to him about how families can make better decisions together as a team and implement changes successfully. He began the conversation by admitting that the origins of his business were based on rather painful personal experiences. I'm a seventh generation farm boy from a little town called Bob Cajun, Ontario, Canada. Um, People at university all called me uh, uh, Bob Cajun or Cajun, and that's how I got the nickname. Uh, my, my formal name is actually Mark Andrew Junkin, um, but the thing is, everybody calls me Cajun all my adult life it's because there's never been a farm kid that wanted to go home and farm so badly as, as I did. Um, the day I left for college, my mother, she showed me the farm financials, and she, she says to me, you got five years to fix these numbers, or else I'm going to leave your father. So I went to University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada, hell-bent to change, uh, to save the family farm, not to get a piece of paper. And the year I came home from college, my dad actually plowed down my crops because my uncle made a, a comment as a joke that my crops look better than his. And after that, I realized at that moment, you can be the smartest farmer in the world, but knowledge and skills are absolutely useless unless you've got everybody pulling the same direction. And from that point forward, farm succession was not successful. Um, my parents actually got a divorce. Um, it's kind of funny there. We had a succession planner come out to our farm and he was there for about 20 minutes until my dad left the meeting in, in anger. And essentially my mom went out to the front porch and she said, uh, if you don't get a business plan with your son, um, there's do not buy any more farming equipment until you got a business plan written with your son. And just despite her, he went off to an auction sale and he bought a, a manure spreader and he came home with that manure spreader. I guess you could say that shit hit the fan. And uh, my parents got divorced as a result of that. And the long story short is that I've been turning shitty situations around, um, starting off with my friends in Western Ontario. And then the last 15 years, I've been helping folks all across North America. So, so basically, your your business grew out of personal experience. Absolutely, right? it was it was. I mean, if you told me twenty five years ago uh, what I do for a living, I would say it's a bunch of BS. But it's um, it's not until you've been through it yourself that you actually realize the real need for it. And um, so, so this is why I live to do what I do. And, and what was the moment that really defines your business? Um, the, well, there's two, two big moments, and we could talk about the second later on. But the thing is that the, the moment for me when I decided to do what I do, I was actually sitting on a barn beam. I was going to hang myself. 
and I had a 22 in my lap and had walked in the barn beam. It was my 35th birthday. And I basically for uh, 10 years after graduating from college and my parents got, you know, separated, I was trying to save their marriage and save the farm, not to um, try to get married myself or try to grow my own wealth. And, um, you know, we had, it was a dysfunctional situation. Uh, there was quite a few times I lived in the car after being kicked off the, the family farm um, on, on and off for, for a decade. And, and I sat on the, on the barn beam and up to that moment, I'd only thought about my own situation. But, you know, when your friends start to talk about your parents getting divorced or a manure spreader, as, as you know, you only have to tell one friend in confidence for the whole county to know. And what happened was I, I was sitting on the barn beam. I couldn't get my friends out of my mind as to their problems that they had and what had happened over that 15 year period since graduating from college, I became the go-to guy that my friends would, would call to ha up to have a beer with when they started having, uh, working with their family farms. Because, because the first couple of years that my, I went home to farm with my dad, my dad treated my, me like his worst enemy. And what I started to see, and whereas their, my friend, their dads were um, bending over backwards to finance their dreams. And, but what I started to see was that they started having problems working with their families and they started calling me up to have a beer with to vent. And, um, I, when I was sitting on the barn beam, I realized that, you know, the way we're doing succession planning, the way we're doing farm management is just wrong. And we got to turn stubborn from it being a bad thing on family farms to being a good thing. And after I walked away from that barn, I've never been hopped back to, to Bob Cage ever since. And I've been hell-bent to save as many family farms across North America. It's good to get that context. Um, so, Gwen, do you want to go next? Yeah, so um, we want to inspire farmers to try out new things and ideas to keep agile. But bringing new ideas onto a farm is not always met with enthusiasm, especially when it comes from the son or daughter what do you think needs to happen on family farms to foster ideas for continuous improvement? Well, when young lads come home from agriculture college, they got a thousand and one ideas um, about how to improve the operation. And I've seen this firsthand with my own friends as, um, like I said before, is when I went to the University of Guelph in Ontario, um, I was actually the only undergraduate to have his own office in the university library. Um, the librarian just got sick of the mess I kept on leaving and I was there so often. Um, I wrote a 200 page business plan um, to turn around the farm. My dad looked at it and threw it in the fire. Um, whereas my friends, they, they wrote a business plan. Um, I had two guys next in the room, uh, dorm room next to me. Um, they both kind of, they copied off each other essentially. And they wrote a business plan the night before it was due and both of them built hog barns for millions of dollars at, at the same hog barn they both had the same hog barn they both their both their parents financed for a million bucks and i was really jealous and envious of that and here the parents were doing everything they could to support their kids because it was their dream for the kids to come home to the farm but at some point in time for both those guys um they both came to me have a beer because they both had frustrations working with their dads. And what happened was at some point in time, these suggestions for improvements to the operation were perceived by the parents as a criticism of past management decisions. 
And here are the parents that spend their entire lives working to build up a family business. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's there because of a lot of good decisions and a lot of hard work. And here are the kids um, taking that, that opportunity and looking a gift horse in the mouth. And it's like taking that silver platter that the parents have presented the, the opportunity on and just trampling on it. And it's very insulting at some point in time. And whether it's consciously or sub, subconsciously, the parents start to see, um, become abrasive to any suggestions for change. My dad was right away, but um, when he plowed down my crops and my uncle made the joke that I was gonna make more money off of a couple of acres and my dad was gonna make off the entire farm. But for my friends, it was more a subtle and gradual process. But, you know, I've seen um, a lot of farms where, like, me and my dad were best friends when I was a teenager, but suddenly become worst enemies. And, and these suggestions for change, as soon as dad says, when son says, suggest a new idea, or daughter suggests a new idea to improve an operation, um, the dad says no. And he, he finds excuses to say no, but essentially, the deep-rooted issue is that he doesn't want to be insulted or told that he's done things wrong in the past and becomes abrasive to change. And and soon the, the son or daughter, as soon as mom and dad suggest a different idea, they become abrasive to any suggestions for change because they feel so hurt that their ideas were disapproved. And suddenly uh, families that were best friends of uh, 10 years before are now worst enemies. And, um, you know, I'm hell-bent to change that. And I think I, I'm just, I think the, thing, the mistake I made when I went home to farm with my dad is that I came home with um, like literally five Tupperware containers of, of data and research to back up these business plans that I had written to turn around the farm and, and was telling my dad what to do and telling my dad that we needed a change and my mom was telling him the same thing and threatening to leave him if he didn't. And the mistake I made was that our cost of production to produce cattle was $1.20 and we were getting paid 83 cents a pound on the markets. And so we were bleeding money year in, year out. And there was once a decade, you'd, you'd, beef prices would rise to $1.20, but it was become less and less frequently in the early 90s. And the mistake I made was I came home and told my dad what to do instead of focusing on the why. And the first thing I should have focused on was getting my dad to accept the absolute truth. Like, dad, we need to be able to produce cattle for 80 cents a pound. That way, if we can break even the worst case scenario, then we can survive anything. And the years that, I mean, the, um, the market prices are above worst case scenario, we're, we're making money and we can reinvest in our future. But I failed to do that. And because of that, my dad and I were abrasive to any suggestions for change because he didn't see the need to change. He felt the government should change their policies. He felt the markets would change any day because he heard these wild predictions about the future and he was always optimistic. And, and as a result, changes happened on a farm, but they weren't for the best. So th th this, this reluctance to embrace change and to take on board suggestions from the younger generation um, how widespread is it in, in your experience? I would say it's a subtle issue on almost every farm. And, um, yeah, I, I would, I would just say that it's a subtle issue that, that impacts, 
you know, too often as farmers, we're stubborn with each other. You know, what caused my family to be successful for seven generations is the fact that we were stubborn. I mean, we farmed um, a part of the world that, I mean, basically 10 miles north of us, there was no more corn or really any agriculture crops growing. We were hillbillies, essentially. Um, we're just on the edge of the Canadian Shield, uh, which is um, the northern part of Canada. Um, but, you know, what made my family successful in farming such rocky ground for seven generations, we go back to 1832, First white man killed in the township was my ancestor who cleared the farm um, so that I thought I could have a right to farm. What I found out the hard way is that nobody has a right to farm. It's a privilege. And it's you have to assume that you're the underdog. That's a bit of a tangent there. But the thing is, um, what made my family successful is the fact they were stubborn. What caused my family to fail is the fact they were stubborn. And my, what my dad and I both need to realize is a probability um, only 12% of family farms pass on to the next generation. And instead of being entitled and thinking that we had a family legacy and that we were had a right to farm the land in Bob Cajun because we had, our family had cleared that land um, from the bush back in 1832, we had to realize that the probability of us succeed, succeeding was very little. And, and we had to do everything we could to, to consider ourselves the underdogs and make changes to our efficiencies so that we we could have uh, we could overcome the impossible and be able to pass over our farm to uh, my dad's uh, grandchildren my and my great-grandchildren but we failed to do that and as a result we failed all because we were the wrong type of wrong type of stubborn what, sure. what are the implications of being stubborn in terms of you know um profitability and productivity well, I think the thing is that we, we don't realize is we're, we're constantly, in, in, on most family farmers, we're constantly bickering. We're constantly butting heads and pulling the farm in different directions. And we joke about it. Um, I think what, one of the key things that uh, we can, you know, is that you got, in most family farms, we got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. We've got multiple generations, multiple siblings farming together. And we're butting heads and pulling the farm in different directions. And we got money slipping between the cracks in a huge way. Because, you know, not only do we, have situations where we're bickering over decisions and becomes more important to be right and as a result the wrong decisions being made but more importantly on the days that you're getting along great with your family and you see a problem but it's it's another person's area of responsibility you don't want to say anything and because you don't want to upset the apple cart and get on bad terms and the decision to not make a decision is a decision itself and there's no scientific proof behind this because that means very hard thing to study but i would say at least half the decisions that should be getting made are not getting made or not get made adequately on the farm and we have a very i mean for the ideas that we do come up with as a farm family in my experience only 30 percent of those ideas actually get followed through and implemented into success and reality and profitability the majority of ideas that families discuss amongst themselves that are, are valid ideas never get implemented and as a result, you have lost efficiency that way. So what I would say what we, we need to do as a farm family is we need to stop. I mean, my company is called stubborn.farm. And the reason for that is I believe that we need to stop being stubborn with each other. We need to be stubborn at the critical habits that matter. And that starts with making better quality decisions together as a family. Mm -hmm. yeah. So and does your business come in then also in terms of a little bit in helping with the stakeholder management kind of 
thing as well so that you know if you are bringing forward ideas um it's also important to always bear in mind the other people on the table and how can i manage that um as well so is that where you're helping them to do that here here's the elephant in the room today is uh um september 9th 2022 um the queen is dead as of yesterday and prince charles just took over the crown um but the dark truth on a lot of family and i think i mean um god bless the queen and god bless the king and i don't mean them any disrespect um when i when i further explain this but i think their their situation is is a good analogy to what's happening on a lot of family farms at least here in north america is that i mean our succession rules are based on 17th century common law so that you know the majority of ownership a transfer of assets is actually happening after a funeral mm-hmm. and and there's we have a situation here in north america at least where there's a, a narcissism is a very um narcissism is a is basically when you're just concerned about your own perspective you're not considering the empathizing with the needs of others and when they've actually done some scientific studies they've actually found that lawyers and farmers are actually the highest demographic for having narcissism and i i i, I myself was a narcissist when i farmed with my dad my dad was an extreme narcissist and that's what caused us to fail is that we didn't understand each other's perspectives. And, and what, you know, to come back to the, in the issue about Prince Charles, 73 years old is not the time to start managing a business. And there's a lot of family farms here in North America where there's somebody in their 80s or 90s that owns all the assets of the land, but also in day-to-day operations are dictating to their children and their grandchildren what to do on a day-to-day operation. I see a lot of farms where the grand, grandchildren and sometimes the great-grandchildren are sitting in grandpa's yard waiting for instructions on what to do for the rest of the day, waiting for an old uh, man in his 80s to come out on the front porch and give those instructions. The successors don't take on ownership of responsibility. They, they think like employees. And what's happening right now is we have a lot of sons and daughters like Prince Charles that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s that don't own the house they live in. They don't own the truck that they drive. They don't own much of anything. They might have a few token cows that are actually theoretically in their names, but the vast majority of the family assets are in somebody else's name. They're not thinking about, they're not making decisions based on what's good for the the overall business. They're thinking about themselves. And that behavior has never been identified, but is seriously flawed. Ownership is the foundation of success in agriculture. And what I really believe is that we gotta have ownership of decisions that's shared between generations, as well as gradual ownership of, of assets. So instead of having a business model where one person acts like a dictator, we got to have a team mentality where it doesn't matter who owns more equity on a piece of paper in a safe. What matters is that everybody is equally engaged. Everybody's listened to not one person smarter than the other people. We got to get rid of that. I'm smarter than you attitude and start making smarter decisions together as a team.
And in a, in a family decision, grandpa's, uh, grandpa and grandma's opinions really matter, but so do grandchildren's. And so what my business model is, is that I facilitate family business meetings over Zoom. And I do that once a month or once a week, depending on the operation. And what we do is we have a time and place where multiple generations and multiple siblings sit down and make decisions together as a family. And everybody's got to come to the table with ideas to improve the efficiency of the operation. And it shouldn't matter who's, who speaks the idea out. It shouldn't family politics and pride and egos got to be um, what, what my core business principle is, is about over two year period is getting rid of the I'm smarter than you attitude with, that happens within family farms and gets multiple generations, multiple siblings, being able to sit down, and make good decisions based on what's good for the farm. And it doesn't matter whose idea it is. What matters is the best idea wins. And more importantly, the best idea is follow through until it's become um, reality and profitability. But I think what's more important, Gwen and, Gwen and Nick, is to, for folks to understand what it is that I do. And, and simply put, what I do is I meet with families once a month over Zoom. And in that meeting, um, we're getting everybody from the family to come to the table with an idea to improve the efficiency of the operation. So grandpa is more likely to listen to a grandson's idea if he knows in three minutes time, he's gonna be explaining an idea that he has for improving the efficiency. And what I do is I get, I put a thousand dollar cap on the cost of these changes. So I'm not, I don't want you coming to the first meeting wanting to buy a combine or buy the farm next door. I want to start, start talking with, you know, simple little improvements um, that don't cost more than a thousand dollars, but make at least 300% what you suggest that, that the changes are. When you build a fire, you start with the, kindling first you don't start with the big logs and i think what happens in a lot of family farms whether it's a farm debt situation or farm succession situation they're trying to add big logs and get the, that lit and when you start uh, when you start with kindling you start with a small kindling first and then you add uh, larger and larger logs as the fire can handle it and it's the same thing with family decision making stubborn farms mission is to help save family farms and currently they are expanding outside the U.S. into other countries. If you want to get involved or require support to turn bad stubborn into good stubborn on farms, you can contact Andy Cajun Junkins at stubborn.farm. We're certainly on a roll at the moment with more Keep Agile, Keep Farming episodes coming thick and fast very soon. You can also follow us on Twitter at Agile Farming to find out what's up next. That's all for this time. Goodbye for now.